Alchemy Seekers, Explorers and Renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Today we're discussing narrow framing, which is uh, one of the cognitive biases. And uh, cognitive biases as a concept we'll discuss uh, more next week. But essentially, uh, cognitive bias is a subconscious error in thinking that leads you to misinterpret information from the world around you and affects the rationality and accuracy of decisions and judgments. So narrow framing is focused on the when you have a problem or situation or project or a decision in front of you, oftentimes we tend to narrow in on the immediate risk in front of us. We are unable to take in the entire entirety of the decision and the following risks or following benefits and so forth. We're simply narrowing in on the one risk that is right in front of us that will then prevent us from progressing into an experience that would actually could actually lead to being very beneficial at the end of it. Of course, there are reasons to why our brain ends up narrow framing and. Uh, when we discover it, it, there are procedures and processes and practices we can use, of course, to uh, take ourselves out there, that those uh, types of uh, cognitive biases. So let's get into the details of it. Uh, starting out, as always, with a quote. Uh, this one comes from M. Scott Peck from his book, The Road Less Traveled. Uh, a New Psychology of Love, Traditional Value and Spiritual Growth. So he says, he wrote, most of us operate from a narrow frame of reference than that we are capable, failing to transcend the influence of our particular culture, our particular set of parents, and our particular childhood experience upon our understanding. So the the definition of narrow framing is really a tendency of people to evaluate a risky prospect in isolation rather than mixing it in with the other risks they face. So we might look at leaving a job as risky because the prospect of leaving uh, something that is comfortable, it might not be fitting to you, it might not be something you enjoy, but it provides that security. So the, the security Losing the security becomes the risk, and that's your narrow framing. You can't see the benefits of uh, moving into a job that you actually have a passion for. Uh, So this really uh, goes back to, uh, you know, stepping into our greatness. This is the the way that we prevent ourselves from uh, stepping into that greatness. Um, And the... There's another aspect to this, and it's called the prospect theory that was uh, minted by Amos Tversky and uh, Daniel Kahneman in 1979, which is uh, a loss is uh, is more uh, a loss is more significant than the equivalent gain. So, for example, if you and I suppose that's that's part of. Uh, uh, the way we, you know, we have discussions about uh, COVID and vaccines and so forth. But for example, if you have a, uh, say, 600 people that are potentially uh, going to be at risk for something, and you come up with a, a system to uh, save 200, but 400 are, are going to perish, uh, and you say, okay, if you frame it as 200 lives are going to be saved, so, uh, and according to this study, and Barbie sent me the article on this, um, the study showed that 72% of the people would um, be, uh, be in favor of uh, the, uh, uh, the measure to save 200 people. Now, if you framed it as 400 people are going to perish, only 22% were going to be in favor of it. It's still the same result, but now you're looking at it from two different uh, perspectives. So uh, the way the advertisers and uh, you know, investment 
prospects use this, and the Ponzi schemes are very well known to uh, take advantage of this uh, uh, bias that most people have by highlighting the uh, benefits. And the benefits might, might be very minute, uh, and that prevents us from looking at the uh, inherent risk in the uh, uh, in the prospect of buying something or investing in something. So uh, now you have a kind of an idea of what uh, narrow framing is. If there's anybody who wants to share in terms of how this applies to your life and how this, you might see that decisions you made previously have prevented you from uh, achieving uh, or going into something that is actually better for you because uh, you ended up with that narrow, narrow framing. It's kind of like you see the, the glass is half full, as uh, half empty as opposed to half full, right? Hi, I'm... It's kind of a difficult thing to look at because I think a lot of things have to do with the assurances of things. And I think that's the part about where I heard somebody say a few days ago that constriction is safety for most people. And that was a really interesting comment. So I think that when we pull in, it, there's a, a, a sense of safety. So I think a lot of this narrow framing you're talking about is also about the safety that you feel but by the same token, there's also different kinds of neurochemicals that we have that when we're looking at risks that kind of go in and out, but it's, it's a difficult thing. I, I know myself, my, most of my life, I've traded my time for money. And now with everything that is, is going on, it's a completely different ball game, but it's like looking at it from the perspective of, do you stay with the tried and true we're going to get the steady income that's going to be the exact same thing every single month or do you go to something else of where i mean in the entrepreneurial spirit it's looking at it from the perspective of you don't have those assurances you have the ups and the downs the, a lot of people who have to i know people who have done 15 20 startups that that kind of stuff so but to them that is what also drives them in the passion because they keep feeling like that one thing is going to be able to be that one clincher that allows them to then grow it and so I think that this is a very interesting thing because it's kind of in some ways reminds me of Aesop's fables with the rabbit in the hare because or the rabbit in the tortoise it's the whole thing about the fact that slow and steady wins the race right but then for that little cocky little jackrabbit running around he's like oh I'm just so much better than you and I'm going to be perfectly fine so I think those are those dualities of ourselves is the, am I the tortoise that just keeps plodding along and plodding along? Or am I going to run around and say, "Wee, look at me, I can do this, I can do that. What can I do? But then at the end of it, do I have the money that I need? Do I have the nuts that I need if I'm a squirrel? Do I need, you know, whatever. It's, it's, that's the difficult part. No, for sure. And uh, I think as an entrepreneur, you, you, Either you can be conditioned yourself to it, or you program yourself to it, to to enjoy being in that space of uncertainty. And I think uncertainty oftentimes is the uh, is that aspect that creates that narrow framing for a lot of people. They being in that space where, as you say, constriction is uh, comfort. Because you know where your uh, where your boundary or where your frame is, as it were, you know where you know where you go to work. You know where your next paycheck is going to come from, uh, and so forth. Um, it's kind of like you know, dogs like to be in a uh, small space when they rest because that gives them sense of security. They don't th this whole idea of roaming about in the unknown is uh, scary to a lot of people. Uh, so if you look at, for example, uh, entrepreneurs, like very successful entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and uh, uh, Richard Branson, there is, they see the risk, they understand the risk, but it is, there is a greater value to be achieved. So if we take Elon Musk, for example, he always said that the pro or he would put all his money behind something that he wanted to solve. 
So, uh, you know, if, for example, with the, uh, I think they started out with uh, his space program started out, they were going to send a uh, bio, uh, bio farm to Mars. But then it turned out that they realized there was no efficient way to launch it and get it, uh, uh, get it to Mars. Uh, so that's when he started developing these rockets that were uh, that, that he could land again. So he created a business opportunity out of an or a different idea. Um, but that then became he put all a lot of money money behind that so that he could achieve the the uh, end result, which was to solve the problem. So to him, it was more important to solve the problem than for him. To have money as it were and if you look at richard branson for him as he's always famously said you know it's all about having fun so for him it was if he felt that something was going to be fun and it was there was a risk he would take that risk in order to have that fun you know creating an airline creating a, you know a radio station etc etc so uh, but then, you know, being in that space and being that risk willing is also a, a, a it's an attitude and a mentality that you that you can train yourself to be in. And it comes down to accepting all the the possible outcomes. So narrow framing is really you look at a problem and you use or you apply the either your experiences or an attitude um, to, uh, I think it's, yeah, uh, uh, an attention to it that is either conscious or subconscious. So it might be that subconscious or when you were younger, your parents may have told you something that made you risk adverse. And that creates that narrow framing. You may not be aware of it in, in your adult life, but because it's resides in your subconscious, it triggers that emotion of you are unsafe, and therefore uh, you are unable to move in, taking that risk because you you gain that narrow frame. Um, so it's it is one of those things that is really challenging to uh, to reframe for yourself and allow yourself to accept all the risks involved. And as it, for, as it goes for Richard Branson, and it's not that he liked the risk, he tries to mitigate the risk. So for example, um, with Virgin Ga Galaxy, you know, he put up the $120 million or whatever uh, they needed to uh, kind of get proof of concept. And then he sold uh, parts of the, uh, the program to get more money in to, so that he wasn't the only one taking the risk as it were. Thank you. Well, I haven't heard from this topic like for years. I remember reading an article, I don't even remember how many years ago. So when you put this up, I was very curious. And now I'm thinking, you know, how, what are the symptoms? How do I know that I'm, you know, uh, I have this kind of, thought of like narrow framing and how what what are some steps I can take to to step out of it to try to because I have heard that so many times you know the um, uh, the empty half empty half full glass but um, it's easy to say you know look at the big picture but what are some things that I can like I can cultivate in myself like is there some kind of 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 technique to say um, easily <laughs> or how, how how can you can you see this in a more specific way yeah absolutely there i wouldn't say it's easy <laughs> but it's uh, it's entirely doable uh, i i think there are a couple of aspects that come into it. you if you kind of sit in your job where you're getting a paycheck and suddenly you say, oh, Christopher said that I have a narrow frame uh, cognitive bias or narrow frame bias. Um, 
I need to quit my job and go and do something else. And you do that abruptly, right? Without any concerns for, for the risks. Um, then, then you're kind of creating an, a, another challenge uh, for yourself. So it's not about starting to take unnecessary risk. So narrow, uh, kind of re reconditioning or reprogramming yourself away from narrow framing is more about bringing in intuition to the process and understanding you know what's my motivation for uh, looking at this risk from this perspective have i considered all the uh, outcomes that are available so when we go into when we have a choice of two parts one path on the face of it might seem like the easy one or might seem like the right one because it gives you comfort, it gives you enjoyment, what have you, uh, on the face of it. And another one might be very challenging on the face of it and uh, have a lot of obstacles and so forth uh, involved in it. But actually, when you take a bird's eye perspective of these two different parts, one, you might actually stagnate the, the more comfortable one might uh, create stagnation in your, uh, uh, in your own growth. Whereas the other one, if you look at the outcome of it, is going to create a tremendous growth and you're going to leap, uh, leap so further, uh, much further ahead. So it's oftentimes we look at the problem right in front of us and we assess the risks based on that as opposed to taking that bird's eye view of it and really understanding what's my motivation for uh, assessing the risks from this perspective and understanding you know how where do i get my guidance from so a lot of entrepreneurs that i speak to i mean i myself i've been an entrepreneur since i was 12 years old so i understand the taking risks when everything on the face of it is, uh, is kind of arguing against it. But oftentimes it is that idea that if I have that gut feeling, that's the right thing to do. My guidance is point, and the numbers are all showing that, you know, I did a, po a podcast with uh, Hamish Gordon uh, about six months ago, uh, and he owns uh, the Driver's Temple which is a non-alcoholic uh, gin type drink. And, uh, you know, when he went into that, everybody around him said, you're crazy. This is going to fail. Uh, you know, the market is uh, totally virgin. There's, you know, nobody's using this. And then he was like, yeah, no, I realized that. I need to do this. And that's when you look at Elon Musk, you look at Steve Jobs, what, the way he was, Branson, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos and so forth. They have that, I need to do this. It's not about the money, win or lose, it's not about the money. It's that innate feeling of, I have to do this. It's part of their purpose. It's part of their journey. Um, and it's so strong within them. I, I heard a quote that um, I saw that was from Christopher Columbus that talked about the fact that you will never find new new lands or other things unless you're willing to lose sight of the shore. And I thought that was a really beautiful quote because it is true that we have to kind of really, really be in that expansive place. And when you're out to sea, a lot of times you have no idea how far it is until you're gonna get to land. Um, and that's when all the sailors used to rejoice when they would see birds of some sort that would be coming onto their their vessels. But when you're talking about Elon Musk and Richard Branson, one of the other boys in that club is also Naveen Jain, who is always about the fact that there's never a problem that's too big that can't be solved. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's interesting that he talks about being a benevolent dictator, because he says that ultimately going in there and having everybody share their ideas, and this is how we should do it, and we should have a mission statement and things like that, it, it dilutes the purpose and the passion. So I think the other part is that I think when you look at what you want to do, where is the juice? Where is the thing of where you're going to completely shine? But a lot of times people don't like it when you shine. It, it actually, it then 
points out to the other people your their lack. So that's sometimes I think the hard part too is that whole kind of crab syndrome of where they they pull each other back into the into the pot because that's just what they do. But I think it's really important that even though you might see that, it's still the question is when can you have the opportunity to be able to upgrade to this beautiful place? And then once you start something, it's almost like the Pied Piper uh, where you just also the next thing you know, you have all these people that then follow in this new direction because you just created it for them. But ultimately it's that forging of the path the first time that has to be you know, cut away, et cetera. And then all the other people can kind of follow along with it. So if you think historically, all the people in our world, there's so many people who literally, they risked everything to be able to do what they did and our world is better for it. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci is a perfect example of that with all the, the grave digging and stuff like that to become a physician and learn about anatomy. I mean, that's technically a crime. It is a crime. So that's, that's something of where I think with this, it's how do you stand out within also, so it's almost like, like a satellite. If you look at the universe with the planets that are all kind of revolving around, it's like you have this gravitational pull because we all do have a, a consciousness scale, which the I know we measure in the Hawkins scale. And it's something of where, how can you allow yourself to be simultaneously spinning in your own gravitational pull while allowing other people the freedom to do what they want to do as well. That's, I think the, the conundrum, like what Jesse is talking about is the, how do you apply this into your own life based on years of, of things? Because a lot of people, when someone says, hey, I want to go do this, they think you're crazy. But ultimately, that's then when you become successful, all of a sudden people are like, oh, that was a really good idea. It's like, well, what? what am I crazy or is it a good idea? Which one is it? So, oh, it's a crazy good idea. Thank you. Well, sometimes it's a good idea to be crazy, right? Yeah. So totally barbie and it's it is that the the uh, vagabond it's the uh, revolutionary it's the uh, being out there being daring and brave to step into the greatness that you're meant for uh, and that's what we see a lot of these people do um, then of course you have people like uh, nicholas tesla who then has these great visions and finds these investors that then uh, obviously have their hidden agendas. But that also then allows us to look back into history and see, you know, the, it allows us to open our eyes to the problems with those kind of uh, situations. Um, so the, it is really about knowing yourself and knowing kind of observing your own experiences as I always talk about. Uh, if you are if you are acting from the emotions that come up regarding say say for example that you you have a, an opportunity to leave your job, right? So the first thing that may come up is fear within you. Now if you start acting out from that fear, then you're not going to be, then, that, then your frame is narrowed in on that fear because you are attaching to that fear. If you're able to observe the fear from your awareness, then you are able to step into a, an expanse of saying, okay, where does this fear come from? And you can see the thoughts that arise from that fear. So I've mentioned this a lot of times as well, that your brain itself cannot determine the difference between fear and excitement. So it might actually be excitement that's coming up, but because we've lived in this constricted frame of mind for so long, our brain has learned to see it as fear because that's what we taught it to do. Now, one thing that we want to do is to retrain our brain to if something shows up as fear as fear and we we question it and we start feeling around with it, we actually go well no actually this is kind of exciting then we need to retrain our brain to say when i feel like this i feel excited right and this is where you know 
affirmations and mantras and just mindfulness will, will assist you in kind of retraining those grooves. So your, your neurosynapses need to be reprogrammed, right? Uh, so it is really about taking that, taking a step back and observing the whole picture. Because narrow frame is really about uh, going in and looking at one particular aspect of the problem. So taking a new job means a new risk because you're going to be, uh, you know, you're not hired until you've spent there th three months there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there is a risk involved, and because that the first thing that comes up is fear, you look at that risk as fearful, and that's your narrow frame bias. So therefore, you will not move forward because you see it as something dangerous. And when something is dangerous, then our defense mechanism sets in, and we don't do it. Even if this could be, you know, it could be that you you have to uh, take a pay cut or something like that. Uh, but the job in itself is going to be more fulfilling for you. So you are going to be happier. And because you are happier, you might actually end up having other opportunities from it, which might triple, quadruple your income in a year. But you're not able to see that because of this narrow frame. So observing our experiences, like I always talk about, and to ob uh, observe the thoughts that arise from the emotions that come up, because then you can control the thoughts. So if the thoughts is, oh my God, new job, that's dangerous, then think, okay, well, why am I concerned about this? Why is the fear coming up regarding this? start asking kind of lofty questions. What would it be like if I actually dared to do something different? What would it be like? You know, start asking these questions because then your subconscious, your, your energy is compelled to give you an answer. You know, whenever you ask a question, you're compelled to get an answer. Um, and you, once you start asking these questions, you're also detaching from the emotion. You're detaching from the thought process that you have conditioned your brain to uh, go into when you step into that uh, fear aspect. Um, now, fear is only one example of that. Um, but oftentimes, I, I assume a lot of you guys uh, on this, uh, a lot of you on this uh, discussion and uh, uh, listening out there might be uh, familiar with meditation. And when you move into that, that expands for the first time in meditation, it's kind of a scary experience because suddenly it's this expanse of void that you're unfamiliar with. But once you move in there, move into that space, you go into a feeling of that all is well. Nothing else matters. You just exist. And that's kind of where you get into that uh, feeling of flow. And that's oftentimes these successful, mega successful entrepreneurs, they find themselves in that flow state because they're able to move into that expanse that Barbie was mentioning before without fear because they don't fear the unknown. They don't fear that expanse. Uh, Richard Branson famously you know, talked to his executives at Virgin Records when he set up Virgin Atlantic. And uh, as Barbie said here before, you know, they, they all told him he was crazy. They didn't want him to do it. And he went out, he bought one airplane, and he said, no, this is going to be fun. We are going to create an experience because he was pissed off with the British Airways for some reason. And <laughs> apparently that was, that's what rich people do. They uh, they get pissed off with a competitor or with someone and they create a competitor uh, to get even. Um, but yeah, so he, he wanted to create, make flying fun again, as it were. And with that attitude, he went into it. And then, of course, his way of mitigating the risk was he, he bought this 
uh, Boeing plane, uh, I think it was 747, and made a deal with Boeing that he could hand the plane back in a year's time if he didn't want it and he could have his money back. So that was him mitigating the risk. He was uh, allowing himself to uh, put his toe in the water without risking the whole uh, business. So that's also important to look at, not looking for ways out, but looking for ways to mitigating your risk. So for example, if you feel really compelled about a particular area of business or uh, service or something, don't go out and quit your day job right off the bat. Put your toe in the water. Start trying to work with whatever you can. You know, take small steps because it's all the small steps that eventually is going to lead to the... Uh, the success of uh, your project. Um, so one one tool I use is uh, the uh, massive transformative purpose. So for me, my and it's kind of similar to Ikigai, but it's more applicable to kind of an entrepreneur. So you look at you know what am I good at? Uh, what do people want to buy? What do people need? And what what do I like doing? And my uh, massive transformative purpose is to uh, to help humanity or to empower humanity to prioritize purpose. And whatever I do in my so this podcast, for example, this talking to all of you is a step on that way to empower humanity to prioritize purpose. So everything, when I look at, you know, talking to my children, the way I talk to, uh, you know, when I confer or convey something to them, it is about reaching that uh, massive transformative purpose. So everything I do is a little bit of a step towards that goal. Now, sometimes I might have an opportunity to take a bigger step, uh, like the... Uh, the, uh, the program the Barbie tool and I have set up now with the, uh, the infinity life, that is clear, you know, then suddenly we're going to enact change for a lot of people at, at, at the same time. So that might be a bigger step. But again, you look at the risks of creating a new project like that. So, you know, what are the social risks? What are the financial risks? What are you know, the, the personal risks. And who, am I risking it only, only for myself or am I putting, you know, my family at risk? All of these things have to go into it. But at the same time, you look at the bigger picture. So it all goes towards my MTP. And as long as it does that, then you can accept a greater amount of risk. So for yourselves, what you may want to do is just sit down, take, you know, 20 minutes, figure out for yourself, you know, what is it that I love doing? What, and if you, like I was until I was about 45 years old, had no clue what I wanted to do, you know, people still asking me what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, then just sit down and feel into, okay, what, well, what was it I like doing when I was like seven, 12 years old? What was it, the thing I kept reverting to? And what was my feeling back then? Because I, at that age, was still kind of free from a lot of the, uh, uh, the, the programming or, or uh, yeah, programming from our society. Um, a lot of it's still taking hold, but we can, uh, we're still free from a lot of it. So we can look at, okay, well, what was part of my passion back then? And see if there's aspects of that we type into. Perhaps uh, so you're in, like uh, I've had clients that are in their passion profession, um, but the aspects of what they're doing is not their passion. 
their passion might lie somewhere, it might be teaching. Um, so if you're a chef, for example, um, being a chef in a restaurant might not be what you're, uh, what you're passionate about or what is your purpose. It might be to create nutritional menus. So look at what you're doing and look at your hobbies. Look at, you know, where does your interest lie? And see where you can draw purpose and start taking small steps. Uh, you know, I have one client who's totally unrelated profession wants to become an interior designer. Now, my recommendation to her is not to build <laughs> out of a, uh, her profession she's in now that she's invested, you know, uh, four years of college and, you know, all, you know, was a five, 10 years of uh, career, but to start, you know, stop blogging about it, start building a following, uh, perhaps start doing some uh, furniture pieces, repurposing something that is not going to cost a lot of money, but something that can get her uh, energy going. And for her to start uh, communicating to people that this is why I'm passionate about. Because once you communicate it, that then fires your own passion, right? This then starts your own um, energy going, which will then initiate the law of attraction, right? So you then can bring in, and this then mitigates a lot of these risks associated with moving from your career into something completely different that actually might be your purpose. So taking small steps in that direction. And, you know, it is, when we talk about law of attraction, it is really about, you know, understand or kind of paint up the what, you know, what do I, what do I see my future is looking like? But then focusing more on why do I want that? What is the emotion that is, uh, though once I get there and hold on to that emotion and take steps to uh, fire up that emotion. And that is what then is going to allow you to um, attract those opportunities into your own experiences. Okay, so we have someone here saying that he wants to change from the maritime industry to being an artist. Well, uh, what kind of artist do you want to be? As a painter artist, singing artist. And either way, you know, you're down in the south of France. So go out and paint if that's what you want to do. Take a canvas. I mean, <laughs> see the painting behind me here is from the south of France. Just go out and paint, right? And if that's your passion, or if music is your passion, then I just go out and play on the, on the town square, you know? Start expressing your passion, your purpose. And that way you will then, yeah, so photographer of sound, you know? So go out, perhaps do like a photo shoot. Perhaps you incorporate sound into it and you create an art installation, right? That doesn't take any risk in terms of money or time. So the only investment you have really is time and your own ideas and your own creativity. But that then, you, once you get that passion going, your narrow framing is going to dissolve by itself because this passion is now going to start driving you. And that is going to overwhelm any um, aspects of fear that is cropping up in your way. As you create your massive transformative purpose, then also once you have that, sit down and say, okay, what action can I take today? What action can I take right now? Whether that is creating a blog, uh, whether that is uh, just writing on Facebook, I love photography and sound. If anybody wants to collaborate with me, let me know. Just express it. Express it out into the public. Commit to it. 
because then now suddenly you're, you're in, it's becoming real. So oftentimes, you know, ideas come to you because you hold the vibration that is a match for that idea. And once you have the idea and you, you're able to receive it, then it's your job to either manifest it, make it into reality, or it's going to find someone else. I know I've mentioned on, on this podcast before as well, you know, Michael Jackson used to call up his manager in the middle of the night and give him some idea for uh, some piece of music or whatever. And the uh, manager say, well, can't, can't this wait until the morning? No, if, I don't, if we don't do it now, then uh, Prince is going to do it, right? So the, he understood this aspect that if you don't express it, someone else will. And how many times haven't we had an idea and then someone else, a few months or a year down the line, someone launches that idea and it becomes a great success. It's happened to me a couple of times, which is, uh, it gets a little uh, frustrating. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, I should have done that. Um, so the opposite of narrow framing the concept that I would say is probably acceptance. So if you are embodying acceptance, you can accept the risks within your own, uh, within your own framework as it were. Because, um, you know, it, not everybody's going to be able to go out and put down, you know, a hundred thousand pounds on an investment on an idea you might only have 10 pounds in your account. Well, then take the step that you're ready to make or take. Take the step that you're... So accept, the, accept your limitations, but also accept that you're destined for greatness. Accept that, you know, you're, if you're in this space of unknown, accept it accept it as being part of your journey and accept it, accept the, the wonder of it. I mean, that, one of the uh, things I remember as most, well, one of the most memorable uh, experiences I had was when I first moved abroad in 94, you know, I drove down to, uh, to, um, from Stockholm to my hometown, repacked my car, swung by, by Malmö, picked up a friend of mine, went up to the ferry, and we jumped on the ferry and drove over to England. Now, where to stay, I knew I was starting college in like a week later, but it was this sense of not knowing what was going to happen that was so exciting to me. And to some people, that is absolutely terrifying. I... I t t don't tend to have that, <laughs> that, that barrier, that, that uh, kind of obstacle in my way. Um, and yeah, I understand that for a lot of people that is terrifying. But yeah, I think acceptance, being able to accept that as not being terrifying, but being exciting. So again, it's reprogramming or repurposing your brain to accept that feeling as excitement as opposed to fear. And we can only do that when we realize that we are experiencing fear and why we're experiencing fear. Is this fear based on uh, notional uh, you know, risk assessment? Yes, if you're encountering a snake on a path, then the fear is going to help you. But if you're not stepping into your greatness or taking an opportunity because there's innate fear about the unknown within you, that's a different aspect. That's a different problem. That's when you observe that and you go, hmm, why do I have this fear? Where does it come from? And then when you ask that question, you might start to see where it the trail lays, leads back to, you know, a parent telling you when you were a child that uh, go and get a good job. 
stay safe. Don't venture out, right? And then you can then you can decide for yourself: Is that something I agree with? If and if you don't agree with it, then it's your choice to change it. You might still agree with it, and that's fine too. But then at least you know that you've made your choice, and you're the one who's taken that step in that direction. And that becomes part of your path. Now you might change that over time after after a while uh, after making that decision. But we all have to be accountable for our own choices and our own uh, decisions in life. Right. So the so yeah, in terms of alleviating our narrow framing bias, observing, taking that bird's eye view, using our intuition guidance, and accepting that there is an unknown out there. There's an expanse that, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. It can either be great or it can, it can be uh, challenging. But if we can also move into that space without judgment, and I talk about this as well, that when you observe an emotion or an experience within yourself, to not judge it good or bad, but just allow it to be part of your experience, then it doesn't become that painful. So Elon Musk as well, pain, uh, painfully, uh, famously, um, well, I suppose it was a little painful. He you know, he, he when he started, uh, uh, I think it was Tesla, he basically mortgaged his house and he borrowed money. No, yeah, he, no, he was renting a house. So he borrowed money for the rent. He was basically had all his money tied up in uh, Tesla. And he tried to live on $1 a day. So once he could prove to himself that he could do that, all the fear disappeared. Because he was like, I can always get find a dollar a day. Granted, of course, you know, his rent was probably higher, but uh, I think he was going through a divorce at the same time. But in, term, in terms of food, uh, in terms of survival, he, he could survive, you know, at least during a shorter period of time. I don't know if you would get that much nutritional food for a dollar a day, but point being that he could keep himself alive. And then that validates it to himself that, you know, he really didn't have anything to be afraid of. If he lost everything, that would be okay. And it's that releasing that attachment to the material that also then becomes part of releasing uh, our narrow framing framing bias. Oh, yes, I'm full of questions, but I was thinking, you know, you were talking about at the beginning, giving an example of like when they say like how many, instead of how many people die, how many were saved. Mm -hmm. So thinking about that, um, we we see all this through, um, how, do you, how do you call this in English? Um, I'll, business right when they're mm -hmm. selling stuff and do do can we use this for our clients not as an you know i don't know i i don't know how to put it on but it, is it okay is it good is it can can we connect in some way or help our clients i don't know if my question is clear yeah no uh, i think you're asking if it's Is it ethical to highlight the positive? <laughs> yeah, and not, not only that, can can I use it in another way? Right. Not in a manipulative way, but can I use it in another way? Because if I am working on myself, like can mm -hmm. can I see that in others and uh, maybe provide something that will enlighten or will help in some way? Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. Um, 
you know, when we look at the way we communicate. Um, so if you're working in a business, look, when you set up your communication program, look at first, you know, why am I in this business? What's the purpose of this business? Now, is the purpose for you to make as much money as possible and serve your uh, your shareholders? You know, say you're in a public company, for example. Then your communication effort is going to reflect that. Now, if you take someone like Richard Branson, his purpose is to keep his clients happy and to make sure that he provides a service or uh, he, he has fun, right? So, which also means that his client's gonna have fun. But in his mind, the only way he's gonna do that is if he keeps his employees happy. So now the money becomes a secondary thing. So for him, his communication process is going to be entirely different. So we need to start looking at what, what is our motivation to begin with for what we're doing. So if you can, and it really comes down to being authentic with yourself and your clients. You know, if, if you are in a business and you've moved into that business because of the lucrative aspects of it, and it's really not part of your passion, then perhaps look at yourself and say, okay, well, is this part of my journey still to make as much money as possible? Or am, is, is it becoming more important for me to pursue my passion and my purpose? Um, now, from that perspective, you know, say, uh, take the infinity life that we just started, for example. Our purpose there is to raise the frequency, uh, frequency of humanity. That's what we communicate. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> frequency of humanity on average today is quite low. It's down, you know, 200 somewhere around there, right? Now we could go out and run a scaremongering communication program to try and scare people into taking action, but that would be incongruent with the purpose because fear actually lowers the frequency, right? So the way we, we go out and communicate is that you're the solution. We know we have challenges in the world today, but you are part of the solution. You being able to show up as the optimal version of yourself and contributing to the, uh, into the collective consciousness as the best version of yourself and showing up as a role model in your community, that's the solution. You see the difference there? So as opposed to going out saying, Humanity is heading towards disaster. You know, we have, uh, you know, environments and ecology, uh, ecological disasters, et cetera, et cetera. Socially, social systems are breaking down, et cetera, et cetera. Go out and talk about what the solution is. You know, be solution, solutions focused or solutions oriented. And then create an opportunity for someone who might be risk adverse to be part of that. Does that answer your question, Jesse? Yes, yes. In, in, in many ways, I just wanted to say, for example, because I was thinking about fear, you know, and mm -hmm. whenever I see, uh, for example, my students with some sort of fear, mm -hmm. um, because I'm working now from home and I did quit my job. So I am just tutoring right now. Everybody told me that I was crazy, just like as Barbie said before. And so like, just in the middle of the pandemic, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. And it's like, I was very uh, unhealthy and a lot of things were happening over there. So I said, well, I, I think this is it, right? So anyways, I was thinking about the fear of my students because they mm -hmm. always come with some sort of fear of something. Right. So 
I, I always, I tend to ask them, you know, how are you feeling right now? When I see mm -hmm. they're, they're having, they're moving away or that they're nervous about something, I just ask them, right, what, what, what is it that you're thinking? What, what are you feeling right now? And in that way, um, yeah, in that way, maybe connect or, or see through the problem itself because mm -hmm. they focus on, as you were explaining, on one single thing about yeah. the whole thing. Well, so, you, you work with the autistic children, don't you? Um, well, I work with many oh, okay. All right. in general, students <laughs> in general. But yes, it, it is it is quite interesting because it, sometimes we tend to don't feel that fear. Okay, that that fear does not exist, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I like to for them to say the fear, to, to name it, yeah. right? So that we can talk about it. But well, I think... I think there is a challenge, especially for young minds, to yes. uh, to label the the mm -hmm. fear. Mm -hmm. But if we can, if they can do that with with the ability of observing the fear from their awareness, as opposed to engaging with the fear, because oftentimes when they label it, they engage with it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if they can first take a step back and say. Can you see the emotion? Can you see the fear? What does it look like? So rather than labeling it, ask them to describe it. You know, what's the texture? What's the color? What What's the shape of it? Uh, where Where do you feel it? Where does it sit? Yeah, because, and that's what I learned from them actually, because they usually do that. They yeah. do describe it. They don't name it because they say, "I don't know what it is." Yeah. So it's can you tell me what is in your mind right now? And that's how they start to describe it. So it's quite interesting. I have learned a lot from them. Because <laughs> if you do, if you do that, eventually it will name itself. Mm. It will reveal itself to you. Mm. And by the by allowing it to reveal itself to you, then uh, or to them in this case, uh, then you are by by virtue you're observing it. Mm. Because you're looking, you're observing the colors, the shapes, the texture. Perhaps there's a taste to it. Perhaps, you know, there's a sound, uh, the location, there's a body sensation, right? And then we can start to expand from that and say, okay, well, what do you think this fear wants to communicate to you? Um, and then suddenly the the possibilities open up because you're not attached to, you're not engaged with it. It starts to open up, right? And it's a process, you know, you work uh, in psychotherapy. This is a process we work over and over and over again uh, every time something comes up, right? I miss a huge part of the session, but like I really like how you explain that, like we should switch off the victim and focus on the creator and just do more. Even if everybody said it's irrational, it's illogical. And uh, sometimes I see on myself, like people say, like, it's crazy, you don't sleep, you you just like you're all in this education and education and education, but like it makes me happy, it makes sense for me. And uh, you, you just gave me the freedom of really believing that that's the strong point of it. Like because it may it's my truth, it makes sense to me. And there where I find the power and just learning the process of like just like raising the awareness of humanity or something is like a power <laughs> it's a huge tool that like i cannot buy in the shop <laughs> i cannot like even if half of the people don't understand uh, it doesn't need to be it's something that makes sense to me and i know it has a huge purpose so thank you thank you for this absolutely and uh, i think that's that's part of the process of gaining that courage to take that step. And that's where the narrow framing really constricts us and holds us back is that we, we don't take that first step because we're, we're stopped by it. We, we can't see the forest for the, for the trees, right? Um, so we, we, we just hold ourselves back and we don't step into that uh, greatness. And Barbie and I use something called uh, uh, the uh, uh, golden avatar, you know, future visioning, stepping into that bigger version of yourself, greater version of yourself. Um, you know, how would that feel like? If that feels wonderful, 
why not take one step closer to it? Doesn't mean giving up on your entire uh, you know, structure that, that you know today, but take one step closer to it. Just test it out, put your toe in the water without too much of a risk. Um, and, you know, for example, when it comes to artistry, like, uh, you know, talking about uh, photography and sound, oftentimes that's more about you than anybody else. And the, there was an artist, I can't remember who, uh, who, who it was who said it, but don't seek approval from others from your art. The art, the only person that needs to approve your art is yourself. And then if anybody, anybody else likes it, fantastic. That's fabulous. If you can make money on it, even better. But if you go into the motion of seeking approval from everybody else around you, then you are spinning yourself out of the passion and out of the purpose. So if you stay with what you like to do, and I mean, we've seen this a lot of times with the musicians that I think AHA is a really good example of that. They break through with their first music and then the record label tells them, okay, now you have to do this. And then the second album bombs because it's, they don't, it's not their passion. They haven't put their energy into it. And then the, the third album, they create something from their hearts again. And again, huge success, right? So if we make it for ourselves, and it really doesn't matter what it is. If, it's, if you have the heart in helping people, you know, help a homeless person, give them some food. You know, that's a small step towards that fulfilling your purpose. That doesn't necessarily, might sound selfish <laughs> in that, oh, I'm helping someone to make myself feel good. But I think uh, many times altruism, there has to be a level of self-interest in that. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. There needs to be that drive within yourself to do it, to feel that compassion, that you 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 like helping someone else otherwise you wouldn't do it right so and it's finding that balance rather than you know sacrificing yourself entirely to <laughs> help others uh finding that balance to say you know this this is what i want to do and i want to do it this way and but taking small steps in that direction to find uh, to really move into that expanse and eventually you find yourself in that expanse of the unknown, but now you are, you, you've taken such steady steps towards that, into that, that now you're no longer fearful of it because now you're accustomed to it. So that narrow, narrow framing disappears. So it's a process and it's uh, just working towards that that will then eventually get you to the uh, to the expanse and for the next step, stepping into your greatness, because then you are in your greatness. It's not one leap into your greatness, it's small steps that will get you there. All right, well, thank you everybody for joining in today and I hope you've uh, gotten a lot out of today's session and uh, you can now go out, find your MTP and take action. Take a small action, whatever it is whatever you, you need to do. Thank you for bringing all your wonderful energy to, uh, to this uh, discussion. Thank you. Take care. Bye. I hope this discussion has given you some tools to identify situations in your own life that where you might be uh, laboring under narrow framing and preventing you from stepping into your greatness. Narrow framing is, uh, of course, not the only cognitive bias that prevents us from uh, living our life to the absolute fullest. And uh, of course, we'll go through many more of those next week when we delve into the more general concept of uh, uh, cognitive biases. 
Unfortunately, cognitive biases uh, are one of those sneaky psychological uh, functions that oftentimes we don't realize that we are laboring under them uh, unless someone points it out to us. So if you uh, are uncertain or you, perhaps someone has pointed something out to you, um, why not uh, have a chat with us? Visit us at uh, thealchemyexperience.co.uk and book a 30-minute free consultation with us to see if we might be the place for you to explore these cognitive biases more for yourself and uh, narrow framing in particular in this case. In either case, I hope we will uh, see you back here at the Alchemist Experience uh, podcast uh, on Friday when we release the next episode. And again, we're talking about cognitive biases next week. In the meantime, have a great time and enjoy yourself. Take care. Bye.